0: Seated. For the last six months, we've been talking about the subject of biblical leadership. For the last several weeks, we've been focused on leadership examples from the life of the apostle Paul. So the time frame that we've been covering is really the beginning of the early church, uh, and this is the church that was planted in Jerusalem, by, led by Peter and, and established by the apostles. And it was from that church that the apostle Paul and Barnabas were sent to take the gospel to the Gentile nations around them. So last week, Craig Peters showed us a a, a slide of the map of Asia Minor, and it showed all the places that Paul and Barnabas had been with the gospel. But we also saw that their 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 headquarters, so to speak, was in Antioch of Syria, and here the church was was thriving. But something was happening in this church that had never happened in human history, and that was there were Jews who realized that Jesus was the promised Messiah, had accepted him as their savior, and Lord had become Christians. They were there. And you also had Gentiles who were were leaving behind their pagan practices and embracing Christianity, and they were there. And for the first time in human history, Jews were intentionally connecting with Gentiles in unity together in one body. This is something that was brand new to human history. And this church clearly understood its mission because Jesus gave it to them in specific words. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So they knew the what to do. Jesus clearly told them the what to do. Now they have to figure out the how to do it. Because Jesus didn't clearly articulate all the matters that were in the how to do it. And we have to remember that this is a time of tremendous change. As we're moving from the the, the time of the Old Testament law to the time of the New Testament, there is no New Testament written yet. So we can't go to 2 Corinthians 2-2 and figure out what we should do in this situation. The, the people who would eventually pen the New Testament are being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God in real time during this exact time on how to do it. How should we behave as a group? So there were a lot of questions about how to do it, and, uh, and God is ex- instructing them as they go. So there's a lot of change going on, and when there's change happening, Joshua mentioned it in his prayer, is when change is happening, many times it's a time of great opportunity. It's a time of great excitement, But it's also a time of great uncertainty. And when there is uncertainty, there's an opportunity for discord and division. And our chapter today, in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35, is going to deal with one of these things that was a giant question that left unaddressed, could have created a catastrophic division or catastrophic problem in the early church that may have stopped the work of the early church completely. So we're going to see how the Apostle Paul managed this big question and what was his problem-solving approach in a little case study that we're going to see here. So the question was this. Should Gentiles who have converted to Christianity be required to to abide by all of the law of Moses, including the, the requirement that men should be circumcised? The outward show of an inward change in their heart so this was the question uh, and it was a question that could have had catastrophic problems if it was not properly addressed so we're going to see four principles for biblical problem solving from the life of the apostle paul this morning and from this passage so let's jump in to acts chapter 1 verse 1 and 2. but some men came down from judea and were teaching the brothers unless you are circumcised according to the custom of moses you cannot be saved and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Stop. At the end of first, verse one, we get our first principle. And it is this Principle number one in problem solving is expect life to be messy. Expect it to be messi- messy. I think sometimes, unknowingly, in our idealistic mind, we think that in, when you become a Christian, you enter into a walk with God that is full of peace and harmony, a freedom from conflict, and that we would know because we have the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit of God, we're always going to know what to do, and as long as we're walking with God and pleasing God, everything is going to work out great. And of course, we, we, we understand that God's in that very neat world that we sort of have in our ideal mind, the Christians have the Word of God, they will always know what to do, and they will always do the right thing, because they're the good guys, now we understand that there are people that aren't Christians. These are people in the world, and they are in the dark, they're lost, and they're always going to do the wrong thing because of that, because they're the bad guys. So we understand that the good guys are going to be in conflict with the bad guys, because we see that on TV all the time. We understand that that works. But sort of in our mind, the good guys will never be in conflict with the other good guys, because. We're the good guys. I mean, we know what to do and we're always right and we're always gonna do things for the right reasons. So in this ideal world that we have cooked up in our brain, we are then greatly disappointed when we walk into the real world and find out that it doesn't work that way. But in this passage, as we see these people from Judea who are coming and sowing discord among the brethren, we think, who are these men from Judea? We immediately think they're those dirty dogs that, Paul, that, that Craig was talking about last week that are Jews sent to undermine the work of the the, the ministry and and to stop the work of the church. And so we assume that it's those guys. But if you read further down, and we'll read in a minute, in verse 5 it says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So these are people who are formerly Jews and Pharisees who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah and as the Christ and as their Savior, and they are new believers And so it's not the bad guys against the good guys, it's the good guys against the other good guys that we're talking about in this passage. And so this is a messy situation. Both sides love God. Both sides think they're right, and both sides think that they're defending the faith. Uh, And so uh, it's messy and it's also complicated. This is the other thing I think we, in our ideal mind, get that life should be pretty simple. We try to find one or two or three word solutions to super complex situations all the time. This situation was not simple. It was actually pretty complicated because, as is often the case in life, uh, in this case you think of it from the perspective of the new Jewish Christian believers. These are people who have worshiped Jehovah God from their birth. They got the law of Moses, and the law of Moses says, come out from among them and be ye separate. You, the, the, the Jews were to be separate from the Gentiles in almost every way. Different dietary law, don't intermarry with them, don't worship their gods. There's a whole list of things in the law that the Jews were supposed to come out and be separate from the Gentiles. Uh, and, and then when they, when they intermarried and when they intermixed with the Gentiles, which they did often, the consequences were severe the judgment of God came down on the nation of Israel over and over and over again, up to and including God raising up the nation of Babylon to come and completely decimate Israel, tear down the temple. And so they realize, I get the picture now, don't mix with those, with those Gentiles. Um, and so it is possible, was possible for a Gentile to convert to become a Jewish proselyte, but there was a long process, and it ended with the men becoming circumcised. So they have a, they have, they have a, a, a whole history Uh, of of, this is the way God looks at things. And what has changed for these Jewish Christians is they're still worshiping the same Jehovah God. They have simply accepted the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah. They've accepted him as the Messiah, as their Savior, and as their Lord, but nothing else has changed for them. So in their mind, is it not natural to sort of think God for thousands of years have have, have given us this way of looking at the world, and he hasn't changed it, so why would we change it? So they really are on God's side, and they think that they're defending the faith. Paul and Barnabas have a different perspective. Paul and Barnabas realize that God is changing things. Paul has had a direct revelation from Jesus himself face to face. And God, through his, his direct intervention with Paul, is telling Paul, go to the Gentile nations, and here's what I want you to do, and here's how I want you to do it. And the apostle Paul says, no, they do not need to be circumcised. They do not need to follow the, uh, the law of Moses. So what you have here is a really messy conversation between two sets of believers who have two completely different ideas. Have we ever seen that in the church in your life? Have you ever seen something crazy like that where we saw the same thing differently? It's a messy situation. So how do we put this to work here in Mission View? And this is the principle first is just life is messy, just plan on it. If you think, why is my life so messed up and why are things so complicated? What's wrong with me? Hit this in your mind. There's nothing wrong with you. It's complicated for all of us. It's messy for all of us. If it's not messy for you at the moment, be thankful, because it will be messy later. It's coming. Life is not neat, it's not predictable, and it is not simple. It is, even in the church and between God's people, even between people who love each other and, and are committed to doing God's will. Side note is when we poorly manage this disagreement about ideas between parties, when it's poorly managed, what ends up happening in a church It puts a cloud over top of the church. The work of the ministry starts to slow down. If it's left long enough, the work of the ministry stops. There's division, there's discord, and there's departure. People start leaving and we've seen that happen. So this is serious. We have to pay attention to what this passage is teaching us. Second thing I want to say is there is a 100% chance that we will look at the exact same set of circumstances and see them differently. A 100% chance that that is going to happen. It is common for good people to be in disagreement with other good people. It's not necessarily just the bad guys and the good guys. Why is that that we can look at the exact same thing and see two different things? It is God's design for us to do that. Did you know that? God gives us spiritual gifts. He, he, He puts things in our DNA so that we can be unusually, as an individual, unusually gifted at seeing a certain perspective. So we can see deeply, as individuals, we can see deeply in a certain sides of a, of a conversation. But we can only see broadly as a group. So as individuals, we'll look at that and see that different ways, and the only way we'll see it as a 360 degree view of that issue is when we see it as a group, as a body, the body of Christ, with Jesus as the head. And so it is God's design for us to see both broadly and deeply. And in order for us to see broadly and deeply simultaneously, some of us will see that one way, and other people will see it from the other side and see it completely differently. And when we come together, we, have, we can now see it broadly and deeply in and, and, and harmony. So it's actually God's plan for us to see it differently. Uh, so we have to learn to embrace the diversity that God's built into our body and use it to strengthen the church and not allow it to divide the church. And when we, re- when we fail to do that, when we fail to, have a, when we fail to do that, the it's catastrophic consequences why is it then if we have if it's God's plan for us to do this that we fail at it so often and I believe it's this first of all we are not prepared to see the world differently we still have this idea in our mind that the good guys will always agree with the other good guys we have this fantasy in our mind that isn't true that we will always agree so because we have that in our mind we're unprepared to disagree and and unprepared means we don't have a process to solve this problem. We don't have a process to deal with this. Uh, and so we, this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. Biblical problem solving embraces the fact that we will see life differently and that we should use that different that diversity to find the best solution. So just plan on it. Number one, just plan on life is messy. We're going to see it differently. What percent chance is there? 100% chance. There's a 100% chance that it's going to happen. It is God's design. So let's move on to verse 2. And after Paul and, and after... Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Stop, point number two. This is going to be a long message. There's 35 verses like this. I would stop at every single one. Principle number two is the process for biblical problem solving begins with simply talking to each other openly and honestly. They were talking to each other. Now, we don't know exactly what happened in this conversation because the scripture doesn't record exactly what happened. But I can take some principles from this and from real life to give you, that first of all, they talked to each other instead of somebody else. You know, when we're in disagreement with, an, with somebody else, another brother in Christ, it is natural. When we let nature take its course, we will immediately find somebody that sees the world just like we do and start talking about the situation. We talk to somebody who is neither a part of the problem nor part of the solution, and we start gossiping and we, we start splitting ourselves apart immediately. That is when nature takes its course, that's how it happens. These guys shortcuted that by just talking to each other. When we have it to solve a problem, the only people that should be involved are people that are either part of the problem or part of the solution. Everybody else should be out of the conversation. Then they actually talk to each other. They didn't send an email or a text to somebody. Can I please warn you? I've seen more small problems turn into giant problems because somebody emailed the solution, their ideas, to somebody else. When, somebody, when, when you email, what, they, what you've deprived somebody of is how, your, the, your facial expression, your body language, your voice. What did, what did you mean by that? People take that from when they see you and when, with, that lack, with that lacking in the conversation. In the absence of good information, the human mind will always go negative. And so people will read the worst thing into that email that they can, And now something that was this big is now this big, and you got to work your way out of it. So don't text. Go see them. Talk to them. They talk to each other. Then there was no small dissension. There was obviously two big, different ideas. And they had to get those ideas on the table. And we also, we like to shortcut this. We don't like to sit in front of each other and disagree with each other. Because it feels like conflict. It feels like I'm arguing with you, and I I love you. I, I don't want to argue with you. So we look at this phase of getting everything on the table as conflict, dissension. We should look at it as discovery. I'm not in conflict with you. I just simply want to to tell you how I feel. I want to tell you what I think, and I want to tell you what I think the solution is. That doesn't make me right. It just means that's how I look, and that's how I feel. Now, how do you feel about it? What did you think? How do you feel? Let's get all the cards on the table. So they, they had a discovery phase. And then the next piece is debate. There was no small debate between them. This is the hard work because now it's important that we argue my ideas with your ideas. In the process of arguing each other's ideas, we get the rest of the cards on the table. We need all the cards on the table if we're going to find the best solution. While we're arguing each other's ideas, we are not arguing who? Each other. We're not arguing with each other. This is such an important distinction. If you haven't had to learn how to do this, you need to learn how to do this, by openly saying, let's, let's debate each other's ideas. I'm not mad at you. Let me give you an example. Kelly Hansen and I are in the church office and we're talking about community groups. And we're trying to decide, we want to make a recommendation to our elders for the next step in the evolution of community groups. Now, for those of you who know who Kelly or me, you will know that neither one of us wake up in a new world every day. We wake up knowing what we think, why we think it. We are right, by the way, and we have an opinion on everything and we're happy to share it with you. So you put two people like that in the same room together with two different ideas, what's going to happen? So Kelly comes in. She has one set of ideas of what that's supposed to be, and I have a completely different set of ideas. We have the discovery phase. We get all the ideas on the table. We spend an hour debating each other's ideas. After I'm done, I think, you know, I, I, I I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I never thought of it that way. She has the same discovery and in the end, we have come away, we started with two different opinions. We walk away with one unified opinion that we now want to get in front of some other people to get their ideas because we want to make sure we see this from all the way around. At no time was she a pushover. At no time was I a pushover. And at no time were we ever mad at each other. We weren't debating each other, we are just debating each other's ideas. So how, does, how is that possible? It's possible because A, we respect each other, B, we trust each other, and C, we know each other's motives that we're not, we're not trying to, neither one of us is trying to prove who's right. We're trying to figure out what's right. We want to do what's right for the church because we know that about each other. We're not, it's not emotional. So that's what the, I'm not sure that's what these guys did, but that's what they should have done. Uh, And so it, it, note to self, respect and trust is required. If you respect and trust the people that you're dealing with, you can solve any problem. Do you know that? If you don't have respect and trust, you can't solve the simplest problem. Not the simplest thing can be fixed if you don't respect and trust each other, uh, as is evidenced by our government. So next stage, next stage. Verse, tw- this, verse 2 through 21, hold on. I'm not gonna stop 45 times here. We're just gonna go right through. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So the church is sending the parties that are in conversation to Jerusalem. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So it's a serious question. They've come to pose this in front of this council. And they said, you know, we're going to give this serious thought. So after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between them and us, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are we putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of Lord Jesus just as they will and all of the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, "'Brothers, listen to me. "'Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles "'to take from them a people for his name. "'And with this, the words of the prophets agree, "'just as it is written, and after this I will return, "'and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So now we see principle number three of biblical problem solving, and that is this, most problems can be better solved by seeking the counsel of others. Scripture teaches us that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. This is what this is all about. There was safety in a multitude of counselors. They were sent by the church to Jerusalem to seek the counsel of the apostles and the elders. Proverbs 15, says, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed proverbs 11:14 14 says where there is no guidance a people falls but in the abundance of counselors there is safety so there's safety in a multitude of counselors so they're they're not just f- f- going and looking for their big nephew earl who agrees with them by the way to solve this problem they're looking for a variety of people and then there's also safety in a variety of ideas look who's in a conversation the church at large is in this conversation in addition, you have, the, the for their day, the right-wingers, the conservatives, these are the Pharisees in, in this conversation, were holding on to what has happened in the past. So you have people all the way over here in the spectrum. Then you have Paul and Barnabas for their moment in time. They were the guys bringing change to the world. They're on the left side of the screen, and they are bringing their ideas to the table. In addition, you have Peter giving testimonial of what's happened. You have James. Uh, who is presiding over this thing. You have Paul, Barnabas. Why all these people? Why, why all these different voices? Isn't that hard? It's, it, this is, principle is so important. It's answered for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the body of Christ. A variety of ideas is God's plan. It's a gift from God to have a variety of ideas. First Corinthians twelve four. there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. No single person is the sum total of all wisdom and knowledge and perspective necessary to make a decision for our church. There is no one person that is that person. Each of us is gifted by God to be incredibly good at something, and then we are incredibly limited in other ways. So as I, as I lead various things that I do I said this is the way my world is I said I have about a 90 degree view of the world this is what God gifted me I see the world very deeply and very intently and if it if whatever needs to be done falls in this range you can sit down put your feet up and marvel because I am awesome at this just marvel if it has any if it's outside of this I am useless to you I cannot do one single thing now I can turn around but here's how I see the world I, I'm looking back here, I still, see the same, I still see the world the exact same way, no matter which way I turn. God gifted me to see this very deeply, but I'm useless for anything else. My only hope is to surround myself with people who see the other 270 degrees just as deeply as I do, my 90 degrees, and find people that I trust and that I respect, and I can say, what's going on back there? Uh, and uh, note to self... The person that sees the world exactly on my six is likely the person I will not like at all. I will not like them personally because they will see the world, they will see every single thing in the exact opposite way that I see it. Because they're seeing it from that side just as deeply as I'm seeing it from this side. So it's typical for us when we let nature take its course. I exclu- these people, I write them off, I, I, I vote them off the island. In my, they're not on my island because they aggravate me. They aggravate me because they don't see the world the way i do and they're constantly challenging me to think differently about things and i don't like being challenged i like the word yes i don't like the word no or what do you think and are you stupid i don't like that i like yes so yeah you know, it's this is uh, the way god intended this from the beginning uh and so the body of christ understanding that peace that none of us is god's gift to the universe and we are only whole when we are in community with the full body of christ Once you get that in your head and you accept that and you embrace it, life gets a lot easier. Now they began to seek counsel from who? Their big nephew Earl? No, godly counsel from experienced and mature people, apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And then we find out the truth and the best solution is found after doing some really hard work. It's the hard work of debate. Because we don't like to disagree with each other. We'd like to agree with each other. And verse 7 says, after there had been much debate, they came to a conclusion. So James presided over this debate. He offered up the, the final conclusion. Paul, Barnabas, and uh, Peter brought the, the discussion to a head. History was taken into account. They went back and they looked at what had happened in the history of the Jewish nation. They had, Paul had experience with, with signs and wonders. Uh, Peter had an experience in the same uh, regard. Scripture was taken into account. What did prophecy say about this moment in time? And after they got all the cards on the table, and I mean all the cards on the table, they formed up and the the decision was there and they made a decision. So a decision was made. That process is not hard to understand, but it's hard to do. We many times like to shortcut that process. So Acts 15, verse 22. We're going to get on to the last piece here. So then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The, The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and in Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction, they're not from us, but we understand it has seemed good to us having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to you, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Okay, so here's the answer to the question. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep these, you will do well. Farewell. There was a question, a lot of debate, a lot of work, and there's a sentence. There's the answer. It's easy to understand. Uh, So when these were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered a congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Here's our last principle. When a decision has been made using a biblical process for problem solving, submit to godly authority and go forward in unity. Because that's what they did. What happened here? The first thing is a decision was made. By the apostles and the elders, the leaders of the and the whole church, having come to one accord (verse 25), they came to one accord. Then what did they do? They put that decision in writing. The decision was presented to the faith by faithful men uh, to the church of Antioch. So the decision was put in writing. I'm just telling you, I, I have to do this a lot in my day-to-day life. This is super hard because when we all we do is have a conversation with each other and we make a decision. We can hear the exact same words and take two completely different meanings from those words. Because I'm hearing those words through my ears and from my perspective. My buddy on my six here is listening to the exact same words, and and he is hearing those words from his perspective, and we are not hearing the same thing many times. But we walk away both going, amen. We agree. We shake hands. We walk out of the room, and six months later, we're in conflict with each other. I thought you said blah, blah, blah. That's not what I said. I thought you said blah, blah, blah. The the solution is you put it in writing. As you reduce it to writing, it becomes—words are powerful, and this is where that gets fleshed out. Let's flesh it out while we're still talking. Because you you, you put it in writing, that's not what I meant. Well, what did you mean? Well, I meant this. Well, does this word—is it this word or that word? They did the hard work of putting it in writing. Friends, I'm just telling you. I, I'm sitting here looking at Pastor Steve. He and I have personalities. I, we love each other. We respect each other. But our personalities are like opposite of each other, uh, in many ways. If we listened to the exact same thing, we would walk away with two different feelings about what to do. It's just a fact. So you got to put it in writing. Uh, and then did they just send a letter and say, "Here, read this"? No, they sent they sent Silas and Barsabas with them to read it to them. So there was somebody they could see their face, hear their voice, see their body language, and understand what did you mean by that, and ask questions. After which, the church at Antioch was encouraged and strengthened. This is a situation that could have split that church and stopped the work of the ministry there. I'm sure it slowed the work of the ministry down a lot. When this was done in this way, the church is encouraged, it's moving forward, and it lifted this cloud. This cloud is lifted off of that church, and the, the, now the church is free to go do the work that God has for them to do. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So they're often running like a rocket. Uh, and so it was open uh, for renewed labor. So there is a process, that, that there, there is a process for problem solving. We've just seen it laid out here. But how does this apply to mission view? You know, the conclusion is, you know, how, how does this apply to mission view? Mission View is, we as individuals, church, family, have been called out by God out of this world, and he put a high calling on our life in Christ Jesus, and he gave us a job to do as individuals. It's a high calling. We report to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We decided in order to be more effective, we joined ourselves with a body of believers called Mission View Church. And as a church, he has a high calling for us. We're here to do something that Maranatha couldn't do and others couldn't do. We're right here in North Canton, Ohio, and we're to minister more deeply and more intently to this local community and to the world from this place. He wants us to do that with a unified purpose. He wants us to do that with, it, with focus and determination and absolute dogged drive to go forward. And I, for one, am all behind that. We need to get in the, in the harness and keep moving forward to do what the Lord called us to do uh, with gusto. So we know what to do because we have the same great commission. Go therefore and, to, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them observe all things that I've commanded you. We, we clearly have that too. So we clearly know what we're supposed to do. But admission Mission View, we are just like they were at that time in church history, we are in a time of great change in our ministry, a time of great change. With great change comes great excitement and great opportunity. It also comes with it a lot of uncertainty, and with uncertainty is the opportunity for disagreement and division and departure. That opportunity is right there for us, too. We have a lot of decisions to make going forward. We are going forward. And as we go forward, it's this pastor or that pastor. We're we're going through two more interviews tonight at 6.30 and 8 o'clock tonight. We're interviewing pastors. Elders are meeting tomorrow. I mean, we got a lot of things cooking. And, you know, our church, we're facing a pretty significant headwind. And yet with that, there are, I'm just, there are really good things going on in Mission View and around Mission View right now. We're watching the body of Christ come to work and come to life within our church and outside of our church. Other churches coming alongside river tree saying how can we help you chapel in north Kent, how can we help you maranatha how can we help you this is the way it's supposed to work it's the way it's supposed to work and it is working that way because we didn't have a pig-headed pastor we had a pastor who was open arms to the people around us and was cooperating collaborating and surprise they're cooperating collaborating with us we're not alone in this world but we have a lot of decisions to make. This pastor or that pastor. When will we start a building? When? When? How big? Where? Do we put green chairs or orange chairs in it? What's going in this thing? What, you know, what, what, what how will we best minister to our community? Because our, our basic philosophy of ministry will never change. It comes from the word of God. It is timeless. But our, our methods will change as time goes on. We don't go banging on doors anymore, taking gospel tracks out, because if you banged on somebody's door, they'd shoot you. They're, 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 nobody comes to their doors like, Honey, they're at the, somebody's at the door, hide the kids. I don't know what's going on out there. You know, the, the milkman and the fuller brushman don't come to our front door anymore, like they did in the 50s. So, you know, there are a million questions that have to be answered and decisions that have to be made. And when we have to make them, how will they be made? Will we follow a biblical approach to decision making? What are the chances? What are the chances of us disagreeing with each other? Roughly 100%. To 105% possibly. Not chance of 99. There's a 100 to 105%. We are going to disagree because God designed us that way. That's a gift. He's given us that gift. So when that happens, because it will happen, what will we do? Will we ne- let nature take its course? Because if we let nature take its course, we will argue in the shadows. We will sow discord among the brethren. We will neutralize the work that God is doing. Uh, we will create division and departure, and we will become an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. Has anybody been a part of church that did that, that was an embarrassment to the cause of Christ? I have. I don't want to repeat. I'm not a fan. So, how will we do this? We can't let nature take its course. The minute you do, we'll just drag this thing down the dilly just that fast. So what are we gonna do? We have to take the biblical approach. Expect issues to be complex and expect them to be messy. Just expect it, it's, it's life. We have to directly talk to each other openly and honestly and look at the conversation as discovery, not as conflict. Discovery, and I'm not mad at you while we're discovering things. We're just getting all the, all the cards on the table. Then we're gonna seek wise counsel. We're gonna seek wise counsel because and we're going to embrace the diversity in the church and not just in our church. You know, even as we're looking at our pastor search right now, we're hot and heavy in that that process. We've asked Pastor Butch Persley to be an advisor to us. He's not making decisions, but he's an advisor to us. Why wouldn't we ask him to advise us? Why would we turn our back on that? That would just be stupid. He didn't ask for it. We asked him. The body of Christ is bigger than us. And we've, we've said that from the beginning, that's been part of Mission Youth from the beginning, and it's coming into play right now. And when a decision's made, we're going to have to submit to godly authority and move forward. Not every decision that gets made is something that I'm 100% in agreement with. Are You ever, ever feel that way? I don't get my way all the time. You know, and neither do you. Sometimes a decision is made, and we have to say, Aye, aye. I'm a good soldier and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to throw my shoulder behind this. And that's the way it has to be. Admission view. What about your family? Does anybody have anybody in your family and just anybody that would see the world differently than the way you do and look at the exact same thing differently? Does anybody have anybody in their family like that? Yes. I have I have a bunch of people in my family like that. I may have a, just a really dysfunctional family. Do these Do these principles work only in the church? The text, the the context of this is just about the church. These are the same. This is the problem-solving solution for your business, for your work life, for your family life. We have to learn, oh my goodness, I mean, I I have situations with everybody in my family where I have to learn to teach them, we're going to debate each other's ideas. We're not debating each other. When we start debating each other, we stop. Conversation stops. there's a distinction that we have to teach, for those of us who are the parents in the family, we have to teach ourselves and those around us. So these, these principles apply here and, and there as well as within our church. But what about Mission View? What's going to happen to Mission View? You know who it's up to? It's up to you. It's up to every one of you, individually. You know how many people it takes to scuttle a church? Just one. That's all it takes. One person who lets nature take its course, and then creates an undertow inside that church. That's all it takes. God has placed a high calling on us as individuals and on our church, and it's up to us to decide where we go from here. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the fact that you love us, that you've called us out of this world, and you've made us a part of the work that you're doing. Honestly, I don't know why, because we make a lot of mistakes we do a lot of things that are dumb Um, but you did and we thank you for it we thank you for your word we thank you for the example of the apostle paul and for the example of the early church that overcame this problem and moved forward with boldness and reached the entire planet with the gospel they were unhindered by this division that could have been created right here right at the beginning of the church Lord, thank you for the the work that you do in us and that you do through us. And I pray for Mission View Church today. I pray that you'd give us a clear vision. I pray that you would give us a dogged determination to go forward. I pray that you'd make it clear how to do what you want us to do. That you'd bring unity to us. I pray that you would make this a place that is a launching pad for ministry around the world. That you would bring the people that we need from the four corners of the earth that's necessary to fill roles and to to bring resources to do the work that you've called us to do lord you know what you want this church to do you know and we pray that you make it clear to us and that you do it we promise to thank you and honor you every step of the way in jesus name we pray amen